So welcome to another episode of the Wellness Engaged podcast. This is the podcast where we dig a little bit deeper and we actually get under the skin of some of the world's most you know, experienced experts in the wellness space and ask them what it's really like to work with our community. And my name is Ashanti Bentadu. I am your host for this episode. And today I am joined by Anna Pinkerton. Thank you for joining, Anna. Please do introduce yourself. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm Anna Pinkerton. I'm a trauma specialist and um, I, I, I specialise, I guess, in all the bits that nobody else really <laughs> is keen to talk about. So it, I, I, I work with um, the bit that's underneath um, all of the wellness stuff, really. So, OK, I'm fascinated already by what you just said. Right. So first of all, you describe yourself as a trauma specialist. I think that this word is being used at the moment specifically throughout the pandemic in various contexts, but what is trauma really? Okay, so the definition of trauma is anything that overwhelms all of your senses and your prior resources. That's the definition of it really. Now you can be traumatized two ways. One in a one-off incident that's completely and utterly overwhelming within seconds and minutes. And you can also get to another type of trauma, which is type two, which is a slow to build trauma. What we're talking about at the moment, if I'm talking about trauma, it's not that um, the one off traumas aren't happening because they are to some. But actually what the pandemic is creating is a chronic state of stress, which the brain is then going to tip over to believe in it's under immediate threat and that's when chronic stress can create traumatic stress so and when people are saying it's traumatizing it's not necessarily trauma but actually that in some ways they're not wrong um prolonged chronic stress will tip over for some and become traumatic stress so it is very much a, a need to be aware of it right okay so this is really interesting so prolonged chronic stress. Yeah. And then for some people, it may tip over into trauma. Yes, because what will happen is that the brain doesn't know that there's not an immediate threat, partly because if you've got, say you've got um, a confluence of financial relationship um, and then you've got the pandemic restrictions, you've got those, those three things coming together, which is coming together for many And that's gone on from weeks to months. And now we're nearly a year in. For those where that has not got easier and not eased up at all, what happens is there's a part of the brain that switches on and goes, I'm on hyper alert now. I'm in a a dangerous situation. Because if you see the mind and the body as an organism that's trying to protect itself, that part of the brain will go early warning system, now I need to be hyper alert. And that's what brings the trauma symptoms along. Right. So is there a difference then? So prior to the pandemic, and I suppose chronic stress is, you know, can happen and always could prior to the pandemic. But is there a type of trauma that isn't necessarily brought on by prolonged chronic stress, but an incident that can be traumatic that yeah. has long term impact on an individual thereafter? Absolutely. So that's what we call type one or one off trauma. So it could be an accident. It could be a diagnosis of a major illness. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be 
yeah anything that has no time to anticipate whatsoever so what we're in at the minute with the pandemic is we're in an, what we call anticipatory trauma there's a sickening dread of more and more of the same of this right so many are finding their resources are lowering because it's gone on so long now the one-off trauma the type one traumas that is there's absolutely no time to prepare whatsoever a bit like if a bomb blast goes off right the system has no time to prepare right now this is interesting thank you so much for for explaining that so okay so we know from the work that we do that there will be many many teams but also managers leaders who may be experiencing the chronic stress that long-term chronic stress essentially um, what signs can managers, for example, look out for in their team members, particularly while we're all working remotely at the moment? Um, one of the easiest things to spot is a change in who they are, in a sense. Like a, it might look like a personality change whilst they're trying to manage. So chronic stress is kind of insidious and um, it, it's so incremental that people don't realise they're changing. So sometimes it takes somebody else to see the change um, so it's quite it's quite handy to be able to go to somebody or oh, you just don't seem like yourself or or I might be wrong but you don't seem like yourself so you kind of own it it's not threatening but you're noticing something so two of the most common actions that are obvious when somebody is say burning out because of too much stress would be they are um, they could become quite bullish so they might anger more quickly or they go the other way and they're very withdrawn. Now, once you've had chronic stress for a, for a certain period of time, what we don't want to do is we don't want the brain to switch off. Right. What it, what it, what it tends to do is because the adrenaline cortisol is too much to handle, the brain then switches it off. So you seem quite numbed to the world. So those kind of people maybe were once appeared to be very, very driven and now they look like they don't care. Right. Okay. This is really interesting. Care. Yeah, it's not that they don't care, it's that they can't because that part of their brain's trying to protect them from the stress. Right. Okay. So what is a manager to do in a situation like that? How can they actually help a team member or the team if they are experiencing some of these signs of prolonged chronic stress? It's a tricky one. Um if because because um, this type of stress and trauma is contagious, you can often have one person in a team that has traumatic stress and then it starts to permeate the team. I mean, it is tough for managers to notice it and sometimes because they've got to notice it in themselves first. So I think my what I help companies with is to say to them, look, we all have a limit, even if we don't believe we do. So everybody that's ever lived and is living now has a limit. And um, we just have to suppose that, right? We don't, so what we do in terms of trauma treatment often is just we have to presume some of the issues because a traumatized brain isn't gonna come and tot totter up to us and go, by the way, I'm having problems. <laughs> it's already in disarray. So you have to think, right, okay, that person's been doing 60 hour weeks week in week out they don't quite seem like themselves but we're still asking them for the output of a 60 hour week yes so 
So um, allowing early and minor adjustments to begin with is really helpful because it doesn't scare the system. Um, so, so let's say a leader is used to being driven and so are their team. They feel like they've got evidence that they can keep, keep going at that pace because they um, are struggling to see the evidence that they're perhaps burning out or feeling overwhelmed, right? Right. So it's really helpful to create um, a narrative around what's actually happening, not what they'd like to be happening. Right. So I think the easiest way is just to, is, is talking about being human. So I do this thing where I go, um, I start talking about what it's like to be fully human. And people look, look at me as I've gone out, you know, what you're on about fully human. But we've, we're not always cognizant of our full range of emotion, rolling with the emotion, um, processing the emotion, which just means feel it. It's a fancy name for feeling stuff. Yes. And, and it scares people. And that's why it's really important to catch people before the brain locks you out because that's what it will do to survive. So you're better to go in as a manager and kind of fluff it up. And you're better to say you don't quite seem like yourself and that not land particularly well because the chances are if that person is struggling, they're glad it's been seen. Right. Very interesting. Say it. It's a bit like when somebody's grieving, don't, don't cross the street away from them. You're better to go and say, I'm really sorry, I don't know what to say, than to say nothing. Right. This is really interesting, Anna, because obviously there will be managers in organisations of various experience levels. Some managers we know have been recruited during the pandemic, so they're getting used to a whole new role, a whole new team. Some managers are new managers, or they may not have been very good managers prior to the pandemic. And now this is definitely testing the team and them in a remote environment. And so it can be very challenging probably to pick up on those signs. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure we could talk about kind of leadership training in more detail, but so, for a stakeholder who is listening and does recognize that this might be something that one or more members of their team is experiencing, how do they go about finding a person like you and your expertise um, to, to help them as a, as a company? So how do they get the buy-in from other stakeholders to get the budget sometimes to do this important work that can seem very intangible at times? It can. And I think, like you were saying at the beginning, there are very general well-being pieces. And those really now in this, you know, they are you can get them off the shelf, so to speak. And there's a very different um, experience within a company that decides to embrace um, self-awareness in order to, be self, to become self-caring. So anybody can go and do a bunch of self-care activities, but if they don't understand why they're doing them or they're not matched to what they need neurologically and physiologically and psychologically, they don't really have much meaning. I mean, I work with leaders around the world who are superbly busy, right? And they're so overwhelmed that if I was to say to them, I want you to do a yoga class once a week, they'd look at me as if I was crazy because I'm asking them to fit something else into their already stuffed schedule. So that's really not helpful. 
But what we do do is we look at what's their relationship with themselves and what's taking up energy from them within themselves. And this is the same for teams. What's taking up energy that doesn't need to take up energy so that you can get well and stay well? Mm. So this is really interesting what you're saying, right? Because you talked about this kind of off the shelf, you know, uh, services, so to speak. Um, and the fact that organisations who decide to take a kind of um, very specific look at the impact this is having on their employees are going to see more benefits, really, um, to at least help the team cope during this time. What can you, what advice can you give for the stakeholder themselves who's managing the feelings, the pressure of their team and all of the things that come with that, but also their own home life? Maybe they have their own health concerns, financial concerns, and then, of course, the pressure of performing in, in their role. What can they do to recognise maybe some of the chronic stress they might be experiencing as well? I mean, really, that's where it starts. It starts with leading the way. If you want to lead, lead. But you've got to lead your life in the way that serves you and keeps you well. So the easiest step is to go inside themselves and become as self-aware as they possibly can, which can be quite scary for some. Because when some leaders, not all, but some leaders are so good and used to leading, they don't have to reflect on self. Yeah. What, what a company can't do is ask its workforce to do a self-care uh, program when they don't care and they don't understand why they don't care. So if you it's it, that's why I do the fully human bit. It was it like to be fully human. What do what do we need as people? You know, some of the, some of what people are struggling for with remote um, working is feeling appreciated and acknowledged. Um, and it, that doesn't make them bad. That makes them human. It's very important that we are reflected back by our colleagues and by our managers mm -hmm. and by our leaders. And it's much harder when we're in these silos in our in the bedrooms or the dining rooms or the home offices, if we're lucky enough to have them. Um, and people are missing a bit of what it is to be human, i.e. reflected back by another. Mm. Yeah. There's some key things that you've said there, Anna. You know, how, you know, going off to do the own self-care if you don't care. You can't, you're asking people also to go somewhere where you haven't been. So as a, you know, obviously I, I, I consider myself a leader, um, not just of my own business, but if I am going into a company, I have to do or have done what I'm asking them to do. Mm. You take them somewhere that you're not prepared to go yourself. Now that's really scary. I mean, obviously the leaders that I work with, they're kind of self-selecting. They'll come to me and they'll go, whatever's happening, it's creating havoc and I don't know what's going on. I'll go, that's fine. We'll find out and then we can do something about it. You can't do something about what you do not know. So, so the leaders at the moment have an amazing opportunity to self-reflect but you must go in to look at yourself and explore who you are and who you're not in a companionable way with yourself. Otherwise, you'll actually um, create the opposite to what you want. If leaders go in and they are mean-spirited or cruel to themselves because they don't like what they find in with that within themselves, that, that's not helpful. Mm. That's very common. 
Yeah. Do you know, Anna, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time, because these are really some key input. These topics that we're covering are huge in and themselves, but so important. They are. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's really, really important now as we move forward that a lot of these initiatives they sit within a healthy culture. This kind of, you know, healthy, I call it healthy soil, because you can't seek wellness, you can't seek diversity if you don't have healthy soil from which those things can grow. And so what I really appreciate is your time in highlighting um, how trauma exists, essentially, within us, and therefore how it impacts the way we show up at work. Um, thank you so much for your time, Anna. All of your details will be in the show notes so our community can reach out to you directly. Thank you for joining us. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. If you've just enjoyed this content, why not come to our Wellness Engaged event or upcoming workshops and roundtables? Wellness Engaged is a virtual experience for HR and wellness stakeholders within corporate organisations and small businesses who are tasked with buying, initiating and overseeing the wellness within the organisation. Now more than ever, we know that wellness is a top priority for corporate organisations. We hold regular roundtables and workshops for the community. If you'd like to know when the next one is coming up, please visit www.wellnessengage.com or check the show notes of this podcast episode for more details.